My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The, so, the uh, passage that has been read for you is from John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. I, I would encourage you, if you have a Bible handy, and you should have a Bible handy, if you're tuned in, you should have a Bible handy and turn to the book of John in chapter 17. And the text we read is part of the only known recorded prayer of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we take the, the uh, called the Lord's Prayer, prayer of Jesus Christ, but that's the prayer, the Lord's Prayer is the prayer that we're to be praying instead of Him. But now this is a prayer that Jesus has uh, has offered to his father in John chapter 17 and it uh, it includes the or involves the petition and anytime we read the term prayer we need to understand that it is a petition we're asking God for something and Jesus was asking his father for something something that he was deeply concerned about and he says at verse 20 as we already read he said I'm not just praying for these but for everyone that will believe on me through their word, that they may be one. Now what he's asking is that people get along. He wanted his disciples, his apostles, his followers to get along together. And it was a great concern to him that when he left this earth and when he left the presence of these apostles, that they would continually to get along together, that they would live in harmony together. That was a concern. Now, if you'll go back in, in John chapter 17, that, that's the reason why I ask you to, to open your Bible and read with me. Read, read the concern that Jesus had. Let's, let's begin at verse 6 in John chapter 17. He said, I have manifested thy name unto the men which you gave me out of the world, they were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things, whatever you have given me, are of you. For I have given unto them the words which you gave me, and they received them, and have known that surely I came out from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. So he's saying, you know, these fellows, I've taught them, and I've taught them that whatever I'm telling them is coming from you. And then he says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which you have given me, because they're yours. And mine are yours, and, and uh, yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through thy own name those whom you have given me, that they may be one. He's saying, he's saying Father... I'm, I'm getting ready to leave, and I'm concerned that these guys won't get along together. I'm concerned about them. And he says, and he's going to go ahead and say, I've, I've, I've been able to hold them all together, keep them together, and make sure they don't argue and fuss and split up. He said, but I've lost one of them. He said, I lost one. One of them didn't work out. And he said, but that's the guy that was prophesied that was going to betray me. 
He said, and that's what he says here, not in all those words, but here's his words. He said, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. In other words, he's saying, I kept them together. I held them together. Those that you gave me, I've kept, and none of them is lost. It's almost as if he's making an apology. He said, I did the best I could. One of them didn't hang on. I couldn't keep him. But he said, that's because of the prophecy. And that's so I, would, I could go to the cross. He's talking about Judas Iscariot. Now then, in his prayer, he's saying, Father, help them stay together. Help them keep together. Help them, help them stay as one. He's talking about those who believe in him, obviously. And earlier in chapter 14, 15, and 16 of this book, he had talked to the apostles and he was telling them, I'm going to go, but I'm going to send somebody else back so he can help you. And that was the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit. And he said, then he's going to give you the Word, which is the Gospel, and that will help you stay together. So that was the concern that he had. And that concern was, these guys may not be able to get along together without me. Isn't that the fact? Sometimes it takes a person with a group of people to make sure that everybody sticks together, stays on the right track, stays on the right course. And he had concern, he had legitimate concern, because these men had proven before that they tend to fuss and squabble among themselves. Did you know that? In the book of Matthew in chapter 18, the text says at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know what they were asking? They were asking, Who's the boss? Who's going to be able to tell everybody else what to do? Who's going to be able to one that gets his way and make sure that everybody else bends themselves to his will? That's what they were asking. Who is going to be the head honcho? Who's going to take care of everything? In Matthew chapter 20, and at verse 20, they even got their family members involved in this. James and John, their mother, came to Jesus on their behalf. And it says in this text, there came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with their sons, worshiping him. Now that's James and John. They sent their mama. And their mama says, Let's, can you do something for my boys? Can you make them the head of this thing? Can you make them the tall hog at the trough? Basically is what they're asking. The big dog in the pack. Can you make them the head? Can you make them the one that tells everybody else what to do? He says, they, they desire, she desired a certain thing. He said unto her, what, what, what do you want? And she said unto him, Grant that these two my sons may sit the one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. Now you know what that means. It means that we get to tell you what to do. We get to organize and we get to manage and we get to direct all your, t- all your affairs. And you know how that set with the other ten apostles? You know how they took it? Verse 24 says, And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. It made them mad. It, it got under their skin. This contention... The reason why Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his death or two days before he died, 
The reason why he's, he's concerned about it is because this contention continued up until the time, almost the time he died among these guys. They kept fussing and fighting among themselves, wondering who is the one who's going to tell everybody else what to do. Who's going to be the boss? When you're gone, who's going to be the boss? Who put you in charge? That's what the kids say when they have a fuss. And the older sister says, you have to do this. And the young kid says, who put you in charge? And the answer generally is mom and dad. So that settles it. So these guys were saying, okay, who is going to be in charge? In Luke chapter 22, verse 24 and 25, it says there's also a strife among them. And this is two days before Jesus died. There was also a strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? Who's going to be the one that tells everybody else what to do? And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles. Now this is, I want to be very careful in this. Because Jesus is going to describe how people get along together in this world. He's going to describe it. He says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, he that is chief as he that does serve. Now the cardinal fact is, along this line, is that in society there's going to be disruption. And there has to be order of some nature. And there must be. And that, must, that order has to take some form of somebody being in charge. Now, I don't want to oversimplify what I'm going to say. But I think I'd, I need to simplify it for myself to be able to tell you what I'm going to say. Let's conceive of a playground where kids are playing. All the children are out playing. And a scuffle ensues. And someone decides that they want somebody else to do something that that person doesn't want to do. And so they get into a scuffle. How do you settle that problem? Well, you say, you know what? The teacher's going to get in this, and she's going to grab each one by the ear and take them to the principal, and the principal is going to decide who's right and who's wrong, and they're going to, they're going to issue a, a settling down judgment. And it may, in my day at least, if you were wrong, you got a paddling. You got paddled. You, your bottom was warmed. If you were right, you got to, you got to boast about it. He got it. They, they took care of that. Generally, however, what goes on in the playground is what's going on in our society and other societies. And that is that a bully stands up in that playground situation. And the bully decides that he or she is going to make sure that everybody else does what they want them to do. That's the bully. And the bully is generally controlled by the teacher, maybe, if, if everything goes right. Or, and then the teacher controls it by the principal. But sometimes if, if you say, okay, the bully is not, we're not going to be able to control that bully uh, because the bully's got a gang. And the gang behind the bully is going to make sure that the other kids that can't control the situation are going to be controlled and they're going to be brought into intimidation. So the bully is going to control everybody. Now that happens when you have a bully. That happens in, in, a, in a higher power situation where you have a king of the Gentiles who is the playground bully. 
And he's the one that's got the authority. So the king says, you will do it my way or I will take your head off. That's the way it goes. So Jesus is saying, the kings of the Gentiles, they exercise authority. And he said, even benefactors, even the good ones, do it that way. Even the benefactors will make sure, and sometimes we, we get the idea or hear something about a benevolent monarch, which means that this is the ruler, not a tyrant, not a despot, but a ruler that, that wants to make sure that his subjects are taken, well taken care of. That's a benevolent monarch. Now, Jesus said that this is part of the Gentile world, part of the world. This is the way the world does it. And in Romans chapter 13, if you have read Romans 13, Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, talks about higher powers. And he says the higher powers are of God. That is, the powers that are up here over you and me and everybody else. The higher powers are of God. In other words, God said, this is okay. This is, I, this is the government that I want to rule over you, that I'll allow to rule over you. Maybe it's not the one that he wants, but the one that he allows. And then it says, let every soul be subject to the higher power. For he is the minister of God to exercise good and to punish evil. Okay. In the book of Daniel and chapter 4, we have an illustration of a higher power called Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of the Babylonians. And he exercised complete authority not only over the Babylonians, but over the entire world. And he got to the point that he felt like he could do anything he wanted to do. And he looked out over his empire and he said, he said, I've done all of this, and I'm comfortable, and I am God. Now, don't think that's too surprising, because there are monarchs all down through history that believed they were God, that they had the authority, they had the right and the power to tell you what to do, and to make sure that you followed their directions. The Roman Caesars in the Roman Empire contended that they received, not only received their power from God, they were God. The Pope of Rome teaches that over his empire. He says, I am God. I am the representative of Jesus Christ on this earth, and I can tell you what to do. The Queen of England, she believes, because she's over the, Roman, over the British Empire, that she is the emissary of God. And so we, we come into a situation where in history, people actually adopted the idea that the king or queen or emperor was the emissary of God who had the authority to tell everybody what to do. And therefore, when they ruled, they said it was the divine right of kings. Divine right means that God gave me the authority. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, in that Old Testament illustration, Nebuchadnezzar got to that point. He said, he said, I, I've done this. <laughs> this is my work. I've done it. Look at it. Look at her. I've got everything under control. And everything's going well. And God said, you, you need to learn a lesson. He sent him for seven years into the wilderness to learn that the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. 
Now, here's what happened with Jesus. When he went to the cross, before he went to the cross, he was delivered up to Pilate. <coughs> Excuse me. Pilate was the emissary. He was the representative of the Roman government, which is the, was the ruling government in the world. They ruled the world. And when Jesus was standing before Pilate, Pilate made a statement because Jesus would not tell him what he wanted to hear. He would not answer him. And, he, and Pilate said, don't you know, because Jesus wouldn't talk, he said, don't you know that I have the power to put you to death? And Jesus said, you, will have, you would have no power at all except my Father gave it to you. You don't have that authority, Buster. And the reason you have that authority right now is because my Father gave it to you, not because you have it for yourself. So the authority of the to get everybody to do what you want them to do in, in a worldly government, the authority is basically, God said, this can happen. Now, those who do good, of course, God, God endorses that. Those who do evil, God does not endorse it. So you have such things as a military state, like, uh, like in Japan, which was an empire, the Japanese empire, uh, during, before World War II. And you have Nazi Germany, which was an empire as well. And so you have rulers who are saying, you're going to do what we tell you to do. And we will make sure that you behave the way we want you to behave. And then, not during that time, but before that time, uh, there was a time in this country, and that's where we want to bring this to, because I think we need to talk about the United States of America and where we fit into this whole picture. Now, 245 years ago, there was a what we call the Declaration of Independence. Thirteen colonies in this country in 1776 came together they drafted a Declaration of Independence, and that was, draft, that was drafted basically by Thomas Jefferson. And that Declaration of Independence says that we are not going to be subject to your authority anymore. And there's a whole litany of crimes and things that the British government had executed upon the citizens in this nation and others, but they were only concerned about what was happening on the soil of North America. Now, the Declaration of Independence was drafted by Thomas Jefferson, and it was signed by the representatives of 13 original colonies. And the, and what, the reason I'm bringing you to this is that we need to understand where we fit in today in this society, because we live in the United States of America, and we are under the authority, we are under the authority of who? That's our question. Who do we answer to? Well, the declaration began this way. These fellows said, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator. So they reached up into heaven and said, God gave us this authority. 
They are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now that's what these 13 colonists, colonies with their representatives made their statement to the British government that we are leaving your care, we're getting out from under your thumb, and we're going to govern ourselves. We're not going to have one person, a king or a queen or a tyrant or a despot, which they had become under King George III, we're not, going to, we're not going to submit ourselves to you anymore. We're going to form our own government, and we're going to take care of our own affairs. The authors of this declaration reached up high, and they said we were endowed by our Creator. God gave us the right. What? He gave us the right of life and of liberty and the pursuit of happiness. The basis of this declaration was stated in the preamble. Now, that's the Declaration of Independence, 1776. And then after a while, the Constitution came along. The Constitution was suggested in uh, 1787, and it was ratified in 1788, and that's quite a while after 1776, the Declaration of Independence. I'm just rehearsing these facts. I know you know them. That, and the preamble to the Constitution says this, We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure a more perfect tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States. Now the key is, he says, we the people. So he's, they're, they're making a contract, a covenant. And the covenant is that we are agreeing among ourselves. We're agreeing among ourselves to govern ourselves. And so I'm promising you, I'm promising you that I'm going to do these things for you. And you're promising me that you're going to do these things for me. And there's no monarch, there's no higher authority other than God, which we're going to find out that after a while we decide to ignore him in this whole matter. But we are making an agreement, we're making a covenant with each other. And the reason I want to remind you of that is that when we talk about the abuses of the government, we're talking about the abuses of ourselves. Because we are the government. We the people. We're the ones that did this. Nobody else. Now, the Constitution contains the methods and the mechanisms for making sure that we can get along together and that we can have life, liberty, and the pursuit of justice, the pursuit of happiness. So the mechanism in the Constitution was built in. And the mechanism was that we have three different branches of the government that, that will control us as a people and make sure that we get along together and that we behave right, and that we respect each other. Okay. The first one, of course, is the legislative, which makes the laws. 
And we can't be there. We can't. I can't make a law, but I can send a representative. We have a representative form of government. I send a representative that represents me and what I want done. And we can either make a law or change a law, but it has to be in consistent with the Constitution. We can't override and overcome, overthrow the Constitution. Because that's our agreement. And then the next is the executive, which means that, they, that someone has to carry out, carry out the laws. That would be the president and his cabinet and then on down. And then the final one is when we have a disagreement over whether or not we're making a proper application of these laws, that's the judicial branch. Now what I have done is, I've said, okay, I agree as a citizen in this country, I agree to follow this, these rules. Because this is the agreement I made with you. Now you say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What about my rights? What about my rights? The rights, the Bill of Rights, we call it, contain ten amendments. Now that's not the only Bill of Rights we have. But initially, there was some Bill of Rights that were drafted in 19 or in 1787, the Bill of Rights were drafted, and then they were ratified in 1791. Initially, these amendments to the Constitution, added to the Constitution, to make further protections that we'll treat each other right, were 12. There were 12 in number. Two of these were eliminated. So we got it down to 10. And you recognize some of them. Some of them you probably won't recognize. The right against self-incrimination, that's amendment number five. And the, right, the, the rights to, uh, and the one that we're, we're facing right now, is the rights to, for a peaceful assembly. That's, Bill of, that's the right of free speech. Then we, then we have, of course, the, uh, the rights of not having the uh, military bivouac in our homes and so forth. So we have ten basic rights. And then there were 17 more added to that. And the last one was tacked on. It took 200 and some odd years before the last one to get approved. That was in 1971. That had to do with the pay of congressmen, how you pay your, your representatives. So we have basically 27 rights, amendments to the Constitution, that, that define our rights. Now, a right, properly defined, is is a, a privilege. It's an entitlement. What are we entitled to? What did I tell you I would do for you? And what did you tell me you would do for me? Because that's the sort of arrangement we have. The Constitution is a covenant that we have with each other. What have I guaranteed you? I have guaranteed you, for instance, that I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to do you damage. And as a matter of fact, I, th I think I'd like to go through these, these, uh, these items. There are five of them, basically. And let's, let's see what they say. Here's what, I, here's what the Constitution, the preamble of the Constitution says. We are going to form a more perfect, perfect union. I have told you, and you've told me, that we're going to get along together. We're going to form a more perfect union. Now that was challenged in seven. In, that was challenged in 1861 during the Civil War, 
Eleven of the states in the, in the United States decided they were not going to follow that rule. They decided that they were going to keep slaves. And, and the Constitution says all men are created equal. And they said, well, no, we need our, we need our slaves because our slaves provide our income. It was a matter of finances. So when, when the Civil War took place, it was over whether or not we're going to continue our agreement with one another, that we're going to stick together, and that we're going to make sure that everyone is treated equally. Now that's what the Constitution said. Abraham Lincoln said it when he delivered the Gettysburg Address, when he said, four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now, 11 states and eventually, or 7 states and eventually 11 states, said, no, we don't believe all men are created equal. So there was a conflict. Will this agreement that we've made with each other stand up? And the northern states said, we're going to make sure that the agreement stands up. And so there was a battle, a fight. And the fight ended up where the Constitution prevailed. And so we said, okay, now what's happened is that the United States of America can stand together and prevail with one another and prevail on this concept that we are one people and that we are united and that we have a perfect union. That was the point of the uh, Civil War, that we hold together and make sure that all of the rights that we find in the preamble of the Constitution and all the constitutional rights, that they all apply to all of us. So now then, there should be no bully in the crowd. There should be no bully. Nobody that can say, hey, I don't like this, I'm going to change it. So there should be no bully. The second point was that it was to establish justice. That is, we will be fair and equitable with each other. We will ensure a more perfect tranquility. We'll be peaceful. We'll provide for the common defense. We'll protect each other from harm. We will promote the general welfare. We'll help each other to succeed. We will secure the blessings of liberty. All of us will be free. Now, the point I'm making is this. The Constitution provides the provisions, the mechanism to do that. But the main ingredient is that if I'm a part of the United States of America, if I'm on this soil, I have made an agreement with you and I have to keep that agreement. Not as a Christian, and that's a very important point, but I have to keep the agreement because I entered into a covenant with you. You say, well, did you take an oath? Did you swear to do this? Did you swear that you're going to uphold the Constitution? No. I was born here. Well, the Constitution says when you're born here, you're part of the group. You're part of the group. You're part of the agreement. If you weren't born here or were not born of American parents who were citizens here, they could, be, they could give birth off the, off the territory 
from uh, not in, in the United States, then you become a citizen. It happens that that's how we become citizens. And so now I'm involved in this agreement. I have to make sure that I keep this agreement with you if I want to be a citizen in this country. Not correct? I think everybody can follow me on that. If I come to this country and I wasn't born here, and I wasn't born of parents that were born here, then I have to be naturalized. Which means that I eventually have to find out what I'm doing. I don't think it would be a bad thing for all of us to be naturalized. But those who come into this country that are alien have to be naturalized. That means that they have to learn about the country, learn about the Constitution, and learn what we're promising each other, and then perform an oath. They have to swear to an oath. We will uphold the Constitution of the United States of America. We're going to behave this way. And if you decide, and you know there's a lot of people that said, hey, I, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to agree to that. I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to do those things. Most of them for tax reasons. They think they can denounce or renounce their citizenship and say, I, I want to opt out of this agreement. I don't want to be part of this agreement. Now when that happens, that individual all of a sudden loses their rights to the, all the privileges and benefits of the United States of America and of the Constitution. You're not going to have a passport. You're going to be a person without a country unless somebody else wants you. Here you're going to be without a country. You won't have any rights. You won't have any protection. And you can't say, hey, you're, you're violating my rights. Well, you don't have it. If you renounce the Constitution of the United States of America, but if you're part of it, you're responsible to it. The problem is that the Constitution of the United States of America, and I want you to know right now, as far as I'm concerned, it is probably the best government that this world has ever seen or will ever see of a human nature. Democracy. We control and rule each other and we try the very best that we make sure that all of these promises are kept. But it still falls short. It's not going to work. It won't work. It will not keep us from fighting and squabbling. I know that, that that's, that's, a, that's a hard thing to say, and it does bother me to say it, but I do know that that's what happens. We, need, we want to be one. John chapter 17, that, that they all may be one. But the Constitution is not going to make us one. It will try. It'll make us behave in a certain fashion, but it will not get us to the point that we want to get along with each other. Now, it may be that down the way that we can heal all the wounds that have been inflicted, inflicted by everybody against everybody, we may eventually get past this, and it may go on, and you may say, okay, we will have a paradise on earth in the United States of America. And people die to get into this country because of all the privileges and advantages that we have in the United States. And I love them. And I'll tell you what, when I say I love the United States of America, what I'm saying is, I love you. Did you know that? Because you are 
United States of America. I love you. And when you say you love the United States of America, you say, I love you. When you say, I don't love the United States, you're saying, I don't love you. Well, we have sometimes, inadvertently, we have approached anarchy in our attitudes. If I say, I do not love you, and I don't love the flag that represents you, I'm saying, I don't believe in the Constitution. I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's going to work. Why is it not going to work? It's not going to work because I don't do my part and you don't do your part. It has the mechanism of working, the way the law is applied, the way the laws are changed, the way the laws are administered. It has all the mechanism, but it doesn't have the motive. And there's a big difference. What is the motive for staying together? Well, you say, I can get along with you if you behave. If you behave yourself, I can get along with you. And so we have uh, ethics, accountability, principles, integrity, value. So we say, oh, okay, these are all the things that we want. But you know the Constitution does not guarantee all those things. The Constitution does not demand that you have high values. It doesn't, does it? That you have integrity. You can be a crook, and the Constitution is not going to change that. The principles, you can have low principles. The Constitution does not say, okay, get your principles up. Accountability, it doesn't say you're responsible for your own actions. The Constitution doesn't say that. It doesn't say that at all. Or ethics, it doesn't set forth a, a code of ethics. You know where I find my code of ethics? I think you know where I find my code of ethics. I find my code of ethics in God's holy word. He tells me how I ought to behave. Now, he does tell me, Billy said, you make an, you made an agreement. You made an agreement with the United States of America. You made an agreement with all the different citizens in the United States that you're going, to, you're going to do what the Constitution calls upon you to do. You made that agreement, and I'm going to hold you to it. That's what God tells me. I'm going to hold you to it. I don't want you to be a covenant breaker. So God says, Bill, you keep your covenant. So I, I, I make sure that I make sure that, that I help you if you're in trouble, to gain your liberty. That was, that was what would happen back in the time of the Civil War. The slaves were enslaved and it was not right. And the Constitution said it wasn't right. And, and the, uh, the uh, preamble of the Constitution says, uh, we're going to guarantee liberty. And so there was a big battle, and the battle ended up where we freed people and said, no, it's not right for anybody to be a slave. Anybody. It doesn't make any difference where you came from, who you were. Nobody can be a slave in this country. It's not right. Why? Nobody said because God said. Some of them did, but they weren't heard. You know what everybody said? The Constitution bars it. The agreement that we have with one another bars it. I agree because God told me what's right and wrong. You know what God said about this thing? In Galatians chapter 3 at verse 28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile. You'd, be, you'd do well to read that one. 
He said there's neither Jew nor Gentile that's in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither male nor female. There's neither bond nor free. There's not a slave or a free man in Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying? When he says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, he's saying there is no ethnic, ethnic differences. No ethnic differences. If you are in Christ, there is no difference ethnically between you and everybody else that's in Christ. That's what God said. You're all the same. Doesn't make any difference what your hair looks like, whether you're a Jew or Gentile. And that was the problem then, because the Jews looked down on the Gentiles that they weren't good enough to be part of it. Okay. So he says, there's no, you, you, can't, you can't have an ethnic difference. And he says, there's neither male nor female. Well, we finally got ladies, you and me. <laughs> I wasn't part of it, but we, we, we got the women's suffrage. And that's in the Bill of Rights. Women can vote. And we, we hear people talk about women's rights. What is your right as a woman? The Constitution doesn't tell you that you have the right to have the same wages that your counterparts do, but, but you have a right to be treated well. But that's not the point. It's not the Constitution that makes someone treat you good. It's Jesus Christ. And he says, and there's neither bond nor free. Okay, so there's no, not a slaveholder and a slave in Christ. That doesn't happen. It should not happen. Why do we have problems? Why do we have problems in the, in the constitutional environment? Why do we have problems? Because the Constitution gives us the mechanism, but it does not give us the reason or the method. I'm going to read a passage in the book of James in chapter 4 to tell you why we're having problems, why we always will have problems. And then I'll tell you how we resolve those problems. I think you already know, but I'm going to tell you anyway. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, says, From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Why are you fussing and fighting? It says, Even of your own lust that war in your members, you lust and have not. You want things. You want something. You not only want something you deserve, you want something you don't deserve. You just want something somebody else has. You kill and desire to have, you can't obtain. You, you fight and war, yet you have not because you don't ask. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your own lust. He's saying, you're selfish. You're selfish. You want, you want everything. And he says, he says, you adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Well, there's our problem. Our problem is that, that we are looking to ourselves to find the reason why we ought to be good people. And I'm looking at the Constitution saying, hey, the Constitution tells me that you need to treat me rice. Nice. Now, the Constitution doesn't say any such thing. The Constitution tells you, tells us that we have certain rights and privileges that we've guaranteed each other, but to be nice to each other is not there. Now, if I'm going to be nice to you, it's because God tells me to be, not because the Constitution tells me. And you're not going to stand up in my face and yell all sorts of epithets at me and curse me and use every word in your your demented vocabulary that's filthy and dirty and nasty, and it has four, four letters because that's the extent of 
a person like that, that's the extent of their vocabulary, you're not going to stand up and do that to me and make me love you. That's not going to work. Why would I love you? Why would I care about you? Why, why, why am I even, even concerned about you? Because God said, Bill, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what God told me. Now, God, Father, I don't know that I can love that guy. He's obnoxious. He's selfish. He's egotistical. His feet stink. I, I can't love him. I don't, I don't want to love him. Why should I love him? And you know what God does? He looks me right in the eye and he says, because I love you. And you know what kind of person you were? <laughs> and then I think, uh-oh, I've got to love this guy because God loved me. That's what it comes down to, doesn't it? Well, wait a minute, Lord. I can love him if he behaves. No, God said, you love him. You love him. I can't make him love me back. See the picture? One guy kisses the other guy. That, that works. The other guy may not want to kiss him. You can't force someone to do what you want him to do or her to do. It can't be forced. And you can't yell in my face long enough for me to want to do it. But I'll tell you who moved me to love my neighbor. It was God. And it was Jesus on the cross. And until we put Jesus in this mix, it's not going to work. The Constitution and the laws of this country cannot make me get along with my neighbor. But Jesus can. He's the one that can do that. The Good Samaritan. We, we know the story, don't we? I would hope that we know the story. The Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10 talks about a man that uh, went down from Jericho and here was a fellow that fell among thieves. He was a Jew. He was a Jew. And here come here, he fell among thieves and he was beaten up and left on the side of the road to perish. And a Samaritan came along, and the Samaritan was a fellow that wasn't as good as the Jew, as far as he was concerned. He was, he was a different ethnic background. But the good Samaritan reached down and took care of this guy. Not only did he take care of him, he put him in an inn. A hotel, a B and B, I don't know where he put him. He put him in a in a place that would be take that would take care of him. In an inn. That's where he put him. And he said, he told the guy, he said, You can you can you handle this? And I'll give you this much money, and if it takes more, I'll come back and give you some more money. Can you take care of this guy? Now the Constitution does not tell me to take care of you when you get in trouble. I'm driving down the road and you've got a flat and you're on the side of the road and you're old and feeble and, and you, can't, you can't change that flat. The Constitution does not tell me to stop and help you change that flat. The Constitution is not going to help me get along with you. Now the Constitution, I made an agreement with you for certain things. Certain things, didn't I? I'm supposed to treat you nice. You're supposed to treat me nice in terms of 
law and justice. But does the Constitution tell me that I have to help you when you get in trouble? My neighbor's over trying to dig a ditch because his house is going to flood? Because the storm is coming? Why should I go over and bend my back and help him? Well, because it's his right under the Bill of Rights. It is not. That's not what I agreed to. That's, the Constitution does not get me to reach out and put on my, my weather hat, my, my bad weather hat, and put on my rain gear and get my shovel, which I hate, and go over there and start digging with the guy. The Constitution tells me nothing about that. But God said, Bill, get your shovel and get over there. Help this guy because he's your neighbor. And the text says, and in, I think it's in, uh, let's see if I can remember the text. In, in, I, th- I don't want to forget it because it's a good text. The text says in Galatians 5 and verse 14, it says, All of the law is fulfilled in this one word, love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. The Constitution does not say that. The Bill of Rights does not say that. You know what says that? My Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, Bill, grab your shovel and get over there and help your neighbor. Now I say, okay, Lord, I'll do it as long as He promises to come help me. Take your head one way or the other. Is this the way it works? I must have reciprocity. I must have him come back and bring his shovel over and help me. What happens when he doesn't? Then I say, okay, next time you're on your own. No, the Lord looks at me and says, Bill, it rains again. And the guy's flooding out. Water's coming down. And I say, "Uh uh-oh, here we go again. But I'm not going back. You know why, Lord? Because this guy didn't help me. And you know what God says? He said, grab your shovel, Bill. Put on, your, put on your foul weather gear and get over there and shovel. Why? Why do I do it? Not because I'm compelled to do it. I do it because Jesus Christ died for me on the cross and said, this is what I ought to do. This is what I ought to do. One other, fact, one other facet I want to discuss with you, and this is a good one, huh? Chicken and an egg. <coughs> Pardon me. Do you know which came first? I don't either. I don't either. Did God create the chicken first and then the egg? I don't know. But God did tell me one thing. And that, that illustrates, or this illustrates the principle that I, I want to mention to you. And that he told me in the commandments, even in the Old Testament, he said, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Honor your father and mother. Now that by extension means that we need to be honoring our fellow man as well. We need to be respectful of each other. Isn't that correct? Isn't that what he's saying? If you do not learn at home how to respect others, your mother and father, you probably will go to school and disrespect your teachers. And after school, you're going to disrespect the authorities. 
And you're going to buck against anybody that tells you what to do. Anybody that has the authority to tell you what to do. Why? Because you did not learn. Now, I don't know which came first. Did you learn to respect authority first? Or did you teach it? Or was it taught? I don't know. I know this. That God said we have to respect our mother and father. And by extension, I have to respect every human being on this earth. Now specifically, there are some that I have to respect more than others. I have to respect my elders. And that's, uh, you know, it's getting pretty narrow for me. Not too many people older than me. But I'm still, if they're older than me, I need to respect them and hold them in honor. But that's what, that's, what I've been, that's what I was taught when I was a kid. Respect, respect, the, respect the property of others. Respect the space of others. Respect the, the condition of others. Respect the position of others. Respect your mother and father. This is the first commandment promise, which means that you will be able to get along with everybody else if you are a respectable person. Don't disrespect anybody. Never disrespect anybody. That's what God told me. And as a matter of fact, Romans 13 verse 7 says, Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Why should I respect you when you behave like a bore? Why should I respect an old guy that feels like he is entitled to my place in line. Why should I respect anybody on the freeway when they want to jump in front of me? Why should I respect them and treat them with with dignity and respect? Well, because I'm a citizen of the United States of America. That's trash. That's hogwash. I do it because God said, Bill, you treat them with you treat everybody with respect. And you start with your mom and daddy. And from there you go forward. You make sure that when you're in school, you treat your teachers with respect. When you go out into business, you treat your boss and your other employees with respect. When you're playing on the playground, when you're playing in any kind of sport, be sure and respect your opponents. Have some respect and honor them. The Constitution does not tell me to respect you. I don't have to have a speck of respect for you. But God said I do. And so there's my motive. That's why I'm nice to you. Whether you want to be nice to me or not, that's why I'm nice to you. So, if this country is going to survive the upheaval that we're involved right now, Jesus has got to get involved in it. He's got to get involved. And the only way He can get involved is with you being involved the way you treat your neighbor, the way you treat others around you. Not because the Constitution says it, although it's a good document and you won't find any better on this earth among men. But this is the one that tells you how to get along with your neighbor. Whether your neighbor wants to get along with you or not, that's what governs us. Now you can get upset and say, well, but, 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 they're not, they're not, They're not responding. It's not working. I'll tell you what, if it's not working, it's not going to work. If this doesn't work, nothing's going to work. 
It is not going to work if the, if the Word of God and the principles that are taught in Jesus, by Jesus Christ, if this doesn't work, nothing is going to work. You say, well, okay, maybe we'll just overthrow this government and get a better one. I don't, th- I don't think there's a better government on earth, but that doesn't mean I believe it's flawless because it has flaws. And I'm going to stand by and see, are we going to wiggle ourselves out of this mess? We might. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to do what God said. Bill, you love your neighbor. You make sure if he gets in trouble, you help him. You help him. And you make sure that you honor, that you're respectful to your neighbor, to everybody else. You make sure that you, you, you treat them with dignity and kindness and goodness. You do that. And that's all I require of you. And I'll handle the rest. <laughs> and that's what I'm, I'm content with doing that. And I want to do what Jesus did. When he, when he left, he left a, a group of men that were squabbling among each other. He said, Father, he said, I tried with these guys. He said, as long as I was with them, I kind of held them together. But now then I pray, I petition you to help me keep them together. Help me keep them together. He prayed for that. So what do I pray for? Lord, help us stay together. Help us stay together.